everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Donald Knight, who is the Chief People Officer at Greenhouse Software. Thanks so much for joining us today, Donald. Matthew, man, look, thanks for having me. I haven't been in Austin probably since South By, man, so... It's been a while. I need to come hang out in SoCo a little bit. We will definitely welcome you back. And I want to kick us off today because I'm looking forward to this conversation with something that you said at a conference. You said, quote, go get positive tension. Always make sure you have people pressuring your ideas. Before we get into your background, how you got to where you are, I want to start with why is diversity of thought so important and why is having somebody pressure your ideas so vital? Oh, absolutely, man. I firmly believe no successful final product at any organization ended with one voice of input. It's never happened. Electric cars didn't happen just because of one person's input. We don't get high rises for one person's input. We don't get the Statue of Liberty for one person's input. We don't get the Declaration of Independence with just one person's input. And so if you subscribe to that idea, then positive tension, that diversity of thought is huge because what ends up happening is it's part humility, part competitive. Hmm. The humility side says, I don't know it all. I got good ideas, but I don't know it all. So I'm going to go ask someone else to help me pressure test this idea or make this a better final product because I know the first draft or the first few drafts that originated with just me isn't, it's not going to be the best product by itself. The competitive side says though, I want to win. You know, somebody wants to win over people with a new project, or they want to win over people with a new product, or they want to win over somebody with new innovation. One of the best ways to do that is to make sure other people are weighing in on what you're thinking. Because when you do that, it allows people to be able to point out what I call obstructed views. Hmm. So most people have driven a car one time in their life, uh, even folks here in New York. (laughs) And that side mirror tells you like, Objects could appear closer. It's used to point out obstructed views, areas of the car that regardless of how long you've been driving or how tall or short you are, it helps you see things you just wouldn't see. And to me, that's what positive tension provides for people. It's like, let people pressure test your ideas. There's things you can't see, things you just, you're not even considering or thinking of. Having other people weigh in allows you to surface those things and then it allows you to do something about it. So that's what I meant with that term. I'm glad you were able to see it, though. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Let's talk about the role of a chief people officer. That's uh, I introduced you with your title. And when others ask you, what the heck is it that you do and how you make an impact as a chief people officer? What do you say to them? Yeah. The first thing I tell them is my favorite title is being Dalen's dad. <laughs> that's my favorite title in the entire world. But when it comes to being a chief people officer, I I kind of view them very similar in in the sense that my whole role is to make sure I can shepherd an environment for people to thrive. My whole role is to make sure that we can unlock people's full potential. My entire job is to remove barriers from people that are hoping to be successful in their career. And sometimes that shows up through the form of development. Sometimes it shows up through the form of having courageous conversations with people. Sometimes it shows up through coaching. Sometimes it shows up through promotion and promoting people. But yeah, man, like I feel like I'm a shepherd of like people and culture. And uh, if I can help people who reach their full potential, and if that means eliminating barriers along the way, then I'm happy to do it. 
right? Like that's that's the fun part. So I often don't tell people what I do. I just say I'm on the people team because I don't want people to treat me differently because of a title. Like it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is like, how can I be a value add to you? Like our, our worlds are here at the same time. We're on this planet at the same time for a reason. Like, how can I be a, a bridge for you? Like, how can I be an accelerator to your success? How can I help you fulfill whatever purpose that you're on? If I'm able to do that, I believe I'm doing a really, really good job at being a CPO if I'm able to do that. If I'm unable to do that, then I think that there's opportunities for improvement. You mentioned in another one of your posts that being a leader who leads with vulnerability is extremely important to you. How do you personally incorporate vulnerability into your leadership style, especially during challenging times? I believe empathy and vulnerability are some of the biggest skills that leaders need today that 50, 100 years ago would have been frowned upon in the workplace. Back then, it was around compliance. It was about productivity. It was about how are we making sure we're doing what we're told and making sure other people that we lead are doing what they're told. And we had to see them for us to feel like they were being productive. And I think empathy and vulnerability says, no, we need to care about them as humans first. Hmm. Like We need to care about like what's going on in their life. Because if, they're, if they have outside distractions preventing them from being their best self at work, you better believe they're not going to be productive. They're not going to be able to drive innovation. They're not going to be able to be creative. So... For me, that big piece is really centered on like vulnerability. I tell people when I mess up, if I'm a fail, I'm a fail fast. And I advertise it. I tell people, I'm like, look, I made a horrible decision. Like, And I tell people, like one of the ones that I tell people recently is like, we had a group of four women coming together. They wanted to start a, what most people call employee resource groups at Greenhouse. We call them Arbors. They wanted to focus on parents. I'm a parent. Like I lead with, you know, like I told you, my favorite title is Dayless Dad. So them telling me they went to start an arbor on parents is like, dude, like, got you. What can I do to make that happen? Like yesterday. And we had a cool name. It was called The Nursery. It's like, oh, it's a cool name. So the name of that group is called The Nursery. I'm like, I'm all in. Like, right. Like you'll have a dad here active. I'm in there. And then I had one of those women like pull me to the side. I was like, yeah, we can't name it that anymore. I'm like, why? That's a great name. Like most people call it like, Parent Connect or like Guardians. Like those are, those, I don't like those names. She was like, no, like we have people that care for their parents, not just their children. Hmm. We have people that have never had children, but they're doing a phenomenal job caring for their parents or their uncle or their grandparents or their siblings. So we were like, gosh, you got a good point. So what are we, we going to name it? Like the nursery is hard to replace. I think we replaced the nursery quite well. They came up with a name. I did not come up with this name. So shout outs to those four women. The name of that uh, group now is called Full House, <laughs> similar to Bob Savage. Yeah. And the whole, uh, the whole idea is like, we're caregiving for the full house, whether your parents, grandparents, doesn't matter. Man, I'm like, oh my goodness. Can you imagine if we were rolled out the nursery and like pissed off all these other caregivers? Like that wouldn't have gone over well. So that's one of the biggest examples or like we were rolling out a improved sabbatical program um, which allowed people to get a four week sabbatical at four years. And like 85% of the organization was like, Donald is like, you're amazing for doing this because originally you had to wait seven years to get seven weeks. So they were like, Donald, thank you. Four years. Love it. But the emphasis is on the 85% because 85% of the organization had been here less than four years. So that, mm-hmm. to them, I was like, dude, where have you been all my life? <laughs> But for the 15%, the people that have been giving Greenhouse their blood, sweat, and tears for near more than four years, closer to seven, they were mad because when you modeled out the way that we built the program, roughly at like year 12, new people would get more weeks of sabbatical 
than tenured folks. So 30 days later, we came out with sabbatical 3.0, which was we allowed those people to be able to have the same weeks. And so that meant at seven years of service, they could do nine weeks. Or if they already had taken their seven weeks, they can do an increased sabbatical later on. Then 100% of the organization was happy. So yeah, like I make blunders all the time, man. It's it's okay. The vulnerability is just like sharing that with people, creating an environment where people can fail and then share those as learning so other people can limit the amount of obstructive views they may have moving forward. One of the things that I didn't talk about when I was introducing you is you have some expertise in, in M&A and mergers and acquisitions. How do you navigate the people-related challenges and ensure a smooth transition during major organizational changes like mergers or acquisitions? Yeah, that's a great one. When I was on the acquisition side of the house and we were acquiring a ton of businesses and I was doing like due diligence from my people lens, the biggest thing for me is like, you're disrupting someone's life. Like they have a pre-set of norms and culture that they already have. And regardless of how similarly the two organizations may be, like you got to give some level of empathy for knowing that what they're used to is changing. And so this is where I would always focus on giving people visibility to what integration will look like. Are we going to integrate everything on day one or are we going to integrate things that later? How do we map the benefits that they're accustomed to or the perks that they're accustomed to, to what we have? And where there's a gap, acknowledge it, but also say what you're going to do about it. Same thing with titles and salaries. So the acquisition side, it was like, it was a lot easier for me because I was always trying to make sure that I gave people the first greatest impression, that first impression when they join our work from an acquisition perspective that, hey, it's going to be okay. We're investing and bringing you here for a reason because of the value that you've been able to unlock at your organization. Then I started doing divestitures, which is a whole nother animal. Divestitures, in my opinion, are likely the hardest things to do in M&A from a people perspective. And the reason why is you're not making the first impression. You're making the last impression. And the last one is the one that people will remember the most. So how are we making sure that if you don't have a transition services agreement set up, that people moving over from Donald's organization to Matthew's organization, how am I making sure I'm vocalizing to Matthew? Listen, these are the things that are like non-negotiable in the culture. These are the things that people are most interested about. This is the things that kept people at our organization. Here's the things that this is when we rolled it out and what the how it was received, either positively or not so positively. Like the divestiture is most important because if you give, if you end up divesting from an organization and you put people in a situation where their first impression is a bad one, hmm. yeah, they blame the new company, but more importantly, they blame the one they left. They blame them for like, why didn't you do what you said you was going to do? Like, why didn't you make sure that they understood why these things were most important or why they are a priority or why they're such a cultural influencer? So yeah, the divestiture side is mm. legit. That's probably stretched me more as a leader on an M&A side. It's just like, I've learned the importance of making sure that that last impression is super important. You've talked about it a little bit in some of your previous answers, but I guess I'll ask it pointedly. How do you think you've evolved the most as a leader over the years? And what do you see as the evolution that's possible for you in the next couple of years? Yeah, I, I would say that's a great question. 20 years ago, I wasn't nearly as empathetic and vulnerable, right? Like I was, I was so focused on like climbing and I was looking at these examples of what climbing looked like and they weren't the most empathetic and vulnerable people either. In fact, I would say 20 years ago, you probably wouldn't find a CPO on the planet. They were all HR leaders and you definitely didn't find one that was leading with vulnerability. 
because they thought they thought that that was a soft skill that wasn't valued in the organization. I think what I have seen is that me finding my voice as a as a leader, leading with vulnerability, creating spaces where people know that when Donald's around, you're going to feel seen, valued, and heard. That it's okay to demonstrate a certain level of like emotional awareness and and uh, being intentional around human conversations, like that level of vulnerability, I do that inside my company. Like, so I share with them, like, if I'm not having, like, if I wasn't the my best self, I let them know, hey, this is some of the challenges that was going on in my life. And that might've prevented me from giving you like ice cream, high energy Donald, but I'm back now. I'm back. It's, it was like a little lull for two weeks, but I'm back. Or like the first time I took a vacation here, I worked 206 days straight, no vacation at, at Greenhouse. But I wrote a whole post for the organization to know, like, I can't tell y'all to prioritize well-being if I'm not prioritizing well-being. Mm. So I'm going surfing. Don't call me. Don't text me. If you do, I'm not going to answer because <laughs> I'm going surfing. I'm going to go prioritize my own well-being. And like when I came back, people were like, OMG, like, thank you. Like, I need to prioritize my own well-being. So, yeah, the probably the next evolution for me as far as a skill set is perspective is like, how am I fostering these environments outside of greenhouse? Hmm. I want to be the person that like, if you work for Matthew and you hear something that I say in a podcast and you want to learn more on it, I want you to know that I'll be an advocate for you. Even if you don't work at greenhouse, Hmm. I want to find ways to like export our culture and create other environments where like, if you work for Matthew, you work for Cindy, you work for Jack, you work for Jane. You could still look at Donald and be like, yo, he's been a bridge for me. He's encouraged me. And now I've been able to create change in my organization. And so I think for me, that means a different level of vulnerability. It's being vulnerable in open spaces, mm-hmm. not just in the protection of my organization. So I look forward to that. I look I look forward to like if five years from now, you and I are having this conversation and, and people are like, Donald's the most vulnerable CPO on LinkedIn, or he's the most vulnerable CPO in business, bro, I'll take that all day. If they say like, yo, Donald demonstrates empathy that my leaders never would, I'll take that all day. Like, I want people to know, like, that's not taboo. That's cool. That should become the new standard for people and people need it. So, yeah. Before we switch to the rapid fire questions that I get to ask all our guests, I want to close with one of the questions that I enjoy asking probably more than anything else. What are some of the tips tricks that you use to organize yourself? You got a lot of things going on a lot. You got family stuff. You got work stuff disconnecting is really important. But when you're actually connected, what are you doing? Is it time boxing your calendar? Is it carving out time for exercise? What does it look like that makes you the efficient leader that you are? Uh, I was going to say two things, but really it's three. The first one is I have a morning routine every morning. So I wake up about three. (laughs) People typically joke on me for this. I do meditation and yoga. I either run and then go to the gym or I go straight to the gym, regardless of where I'm at. I do those things every morning. My yoga instructor, and he's more of a yogi than an instructor because he cares less about the different asanas or positions people get in and cares more about like what yoga is supposed to do for you internally. His name is Coleman. Uh, you can find him on any social platform as Front Row Yogi, and he will tell you his journey of how he started in the back row and moved to the front. But Coleman really taught me this. He was like, Donald... You got to fill your cup before you can fill everybody else's and never allow people to get to the body of your cup. Always fill your cup first. Hmm. That's the first thing. That's the most important thing that I do. 
every single day, regardless of I'm working vacation. My wife, Ashley, doesn't like, she doesn't get mad at me for doing it. She knows I need it to be my best self. I'd say the second thing that I do around like just being effective is I have a phenomenal lady on my team named Ayla Espinal. <laughs> She's the greatest human of all time. <laughs> she keeps me where I need to be all the time. And uh, I'm just happy to have someone who really, I work for her. Like she tells me what I need to do and where I need to go. So shout outs to Ayla. I really appreciate you. And then the third thing, man, I'll be honest with you, is like, I don't believe in work-life balance. I know that's so taboo for a CPO to say, and people are going to be like, oh my goodness, see, he wants to overwork people. Like, no, I don't. I believe in work-life blender. And I believe that similar to a blender, you need to label the, the blades in your life that are most important. And for your blender to work, all of those blades need to be turning. And so there are times that I spend more time at work because that's the blade that needs the most attention for my blender to be turning. But I'll tell you, I got a vacation coming up, family vacation coming up to Greece. And I'm not talking to nobody at work because that blade in my life, my family, that's an important blade as well. And for that week, I'm prioritizing that blade in order to keep my blender turning. So I strongly encourage anybody, if you want to grow in your career, put your career aspirations as a blade. If you want to make better friends, get getting out there and making new friends, building proximity with other people as a blade. If health is important to you and you're like some CrossFit yoga bar instructor, orange theory enthusiast, put fitness down and health as a blade. If you're a dad or a mom or an uncle or a nephew or a brother, put that down as a blade. Whatever your blades are, put them down. It's I strongly encourage you to have no more than eight because it's hard. If you do everything, you'll master nothing. Figure out what those eight blades are or less. Keep your blenders turning and always prioritize the blades appropriately. It does mean you might not have the balance of 50-50 all the time because some of the blades may need more attention. I love the blender analogy. It's a wonderful spot to uh, shift to our final rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. So rapid fire question number one is this. Okay. If you could describe your leadership style in one word, what would that one word be? Oxygen. Anybody on my team can breathe. And our final rapid fire question is this. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Never underestimate your ability to influence others. So often... And I felt like this, so I just want to make sure I say it for your audience, Matthew. When I wasn't in a leadership position, I always felt like when I got to one, it'd be a lot easier. I always felt that way. I was like, oh, I'm going to change all these things when I get there. And what I found is like, you can influence without authority. You don't have to have a title to shift culture. You don't have to have a title to be the encouragement someone else may need or to move the organization in a direction where it needs to go. And so, yeah, never underestimate your ability to influence others. That's a wonderful spot to close this out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Dude, LinkedIn, Donald Knight. Type in Donald Knight Greenhouse. I'm the first one to pop up. If you like using the backslash, it's Proximity Knight, K-N-I-J-H-T. Like, look me up. And then like, put my email in the show notes, Matthew. Like, I trust you. It's fine. I I like your listeners. Let's make it happen. I love it. Well, thank you for all of the great insight. Thanks to our wonderful listeners for joining us as always. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims. And you can find our organization at Ability.com. That is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E. I want to thank Donald again for joining us on this episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. This podcast is produced by Ability 
a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini-MBA, the Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. 